Hi there, I'm Diego Villegas, and welcome to the Amplifying Persistence podcast. This podcast serves as a platform for college students to share their stories, navigating through institutions of higher education. Today, we will be talking with Lillian Moria. Lillian is originally from Kenya and one day hopes to have a social enterprise. As an international student, Lillian does not only find herself battling the challenges Cal State East Bay places on her path to acquire a degree, but she also finds herself having to deal with the larger xenophobic and racist systems embedded in the United States. Regardless of the countless challenges that intend to limit her chances to success, Lillian has persevered and has accomplished many great things throughout her educational career, and I cannot wait to see what she accomplishes in the future. Now, on to my conversation with Lillian. Hi, Lillian. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Great. So to start off, do you mind introducing yourself? Maybe telling us where you go to school, what you want to major in, anything like that to kick us off. Uh, well, I go to Cal State ISPE. I'm a clinical psychology major on a pre-med route. Um, and I hope to be a neurosurgeon one day. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, and you're also an international student, right? Yes. And yes. you're from? I'm from Kenya. Cool. Thank you. And what do you hope to do in the future? So I hope to have a social enterprise that caters to the healthcare needs of people back in my country in the rural areas. And I hope to also extend that into the U.S. in assisting the homeless people because I'm in the Bay Area and it's a rampant problem of having homeless people out in the streets. Some looking very sickly and I always wonder if they get the assistance they need. So, yeah, so the dream is to be a neurosurgeon who on the side is helping get people health care. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Could you tell me about your experience arriving to the United States? I arrived through cancer, so it was oddly displacing (laughs) because that's a predominantly white state. And then I went to a predominantly white institution. It was very, very unsettling in the beginning because I had to contend with the idea that microaggressions even exist (laughs) because I was coming from a culture where racial tones were very loud. Somebody will tell you blatantly, I hate black people. If they were expats or foreigners in the country, um, then moving to Kansas where the the racial tone is more of like, I'll stare at you with hate or I'll try and gaslight you, you know, such things or demeaning your very existence. It was very interesting to go through that. But my first existence in the U.S. within that first year was um, enlightening in terms of my blackness. (laughs) I was made very aware of my being black. Could you elaborate on how your experience living in Kansas impacted your blackness? Well, when you're African, you know you're African. You You know that you're a Negroid race. You know that you're black. But it's not in the sense that a United States instills in you. Um, I was coming from a culture where, for instance, 
mixed race people are mixed race people and then black people are black people and white people are white people indians were indians so it's like when i came here it's like not only are you placed in a box you are given stereotypes you're given subcultural identities that you yourself did not know you had you know you become more enlightened on the history of why i'm able to be in the country you know because of slavery and black people in america having fought i have i had to read a couple of books on the fight for freedom because i was so intrigued because i came in during the blm thing when it was getting hit back then and i had to really learn about that history and be like so not only were we suffering on the continent for those hundreds of years, some were here literally going through hell and they're the reason I'm able to be here. So it offered a sense of respect and adoration for black Americans that we don't really get when we're back home because of the way the media portrays African-Americans. And, and then to come here and be lumped up in a group with them, even though I was coming in with a mindset of they're black, but we are different cultures. But then to realize that their culture is just a derivative of my culture. They had to basically make it because they were being stripped of their identity. I don't know. It's just my coming here, experiencing all this racial issues has offered a sense of enlightenment in not only my identity and where I would like to see my people in the future. Um, and and I appreciate the discussions that I had in terms of racial matters in the U.S. because more often than not, it doesn't occur where I'm from. <laughs> so something I would love to have happen more because in a sense, it offers a clarity to what the pain is and then starts people on a journey to heal because Africans would never admit to having PTSS, post-traumatic syndrome, but I've come to realize that mm, we do have it. <laughs> it's just grown into a whole different thing, but I digress. Yeah. So that was my experience with, um, it's more of enlightenment and understanding who I am, who my African-American brothers and sisters are, and the Black experience in the whole world in general. Could you tell me a little bit more about how maybe your relationship with your race may differ from the relationship between African-American students and their race? Do you feel like there's a big difference there? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, African-Americans have the advantage of being American. So that's a start. Um, they have, I would like to say, benefits of existing in this country in that they don't have to pay a high amount of school fees. They get uh, grants. They get scholarships. I don't want to say loans because I don't agree with the whole debt system. <laughs> but um, they they have so much more offered to them by their education system. Um, it just becomes a bit stressful for me to see that these opportunities are not collected in their fullest capacity because um, there's this idea that they're not available from what I've experienced. I don't know if that makes sense. But on my end, I have to 
cough up four times the fee <laughs> and somehow survive in this country without being authorized to work um, outside of school. And I believe America might be the only country that does that. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, you know, coming here, it wasn't something that, because I'm coming from a country where we have so many expats around us, right? So it wasn't something I really looked into, but I've had to contend with the idea that even within uh, the black race in the United States, we are very much so divided socioeconomically, you know, and also culturally to some aspect. Um, so by the time I'm done with my degree, I will have probably spent a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> um, and coming from a country where my mother has to work like a hundred times to get a dollar because they, I don't know if that's economically correct, but it's like one dollar to a hundred shillings uh, coming from that economy and then coming here and seeing that uh, African-Americans or any other type of black American doesn't really get access to the education I'm so desperately seeking because of various reasons is quite disturbing. I feel like some point to some point they fought for this, you know, they fought for their ability to go to school and everything. And then to have a system withhold it from them in for so many reasons, um, it's quite disturbing sometimes to really think about it that if I do become a neurosurgeon, there's a couple of African-Americans who, given the opportunity, would have been a neurosurgeon, you know? So it's more of like my education in terms of my race has not often enlightenment, but also it exposes how disturbing the American system can be, you know? Because if I have kids in this country, they will be African-American, so will they have the same experiences is always my question. Will they be, you know, cause it's an African, there is the benefit of, I'm sorry, that was my speaker. As an African, there's the benefit of being able to, to step back and leave the country anytime, even if I choose not to finish my studies here. And unfortunately there's the expectation from you know, this country that Africans come here and they they do so well in their studies, they pass their exams, they make it to their careers and everything. And I wonder why that's not accorded to African-Americans, you know. Yeah, I just think it's crazy how the standards and the expectations are so different for people. And it's just so unjust and people are just trying to get an education. Like everyone, everyone wants the same thing. Yeah. What's wrong with that? I face my fair shares of struggles as an immigrant in America, even though I'm here legally, quote unquote, it's like, I still face so much troubles. You would wonder, did I sneak in, you know, with the way the system is set up and the policies are so, they're, they're anchoring, at, they're, you know, they're at the age of being racially biased, according to me, because it's basically meant to frustrate you from my observation, this policies. It makes no sense why 
I would not be allowed to work, you know, and be able to get experience in the career I'm studying. It's like, <laughs> you know, even if I was to say, okay, I'm done with my studies and I need to leave the country, wherever I end up, they want to see work experience. And if you're not allowed to get it, you know, it becomes un- it becomes useless to study in this country if you're not going to get the work experience that comes with it because the real world might not really care for your degree. They want to see your work ethic, what you've done so far in work and whatnot. I don't know. And I, I think most people are starting to realize the faults in America's system in terms of immigration. And I just hope they can fix that because... As a black African girl, when you come here, you face the biases of African-Americans, although sometimes not to the extent they do, and you face the biases of the immigration system. And then you face the bias of being a woman. So you can imagine how crippling that is when you're facing challenges sometimes. Like, <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, and then you have the education system going against you too. So you're going against all all of these different systems on your own and you're just trying to get yeah. your your education. You think you've gotten to a smooth road and then here comes the potholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just one giant hole. Just one giant hole that wants to swallow you up. <laughs> yeah, um, that's really interesting. Wow. Could you tell me about how your African identity has impacted the way that others interact with you in college? While I was in Kansas, there was a sense of belittling. Um, I used to get, I used to think about it and get mad. But then now I realize it's just coming from a place of being uncultured with the people I interacted with. Um, and there's this need by the American system to, f- to have you conform, you know? America is a melting pot of cultures, but then it still demands that you conform to an Americanness, which for me is, is devoid of self-expression. And it's like, I, how can you market yourself to the world as being open and diverse? And then when people get there, it's like, oh, I don't like your accent. Oh, I don't like the way you pronounce that. Oh, I don't like your mannerisms. When, when that should be the beauty of humanity. I see it as like very, very beautiful when I interact with a Mongolian and I'm learning about where they're from and accepting their ways, you know, their mannerisms and be like, oh, that's the way they are. And it, it kind of, and I think this might also be because of the way the country was founded of stripping people of their identity and like the founders themselves were European descent and of, of European descent. And when they got here, they stripped themselves of, of that this, the identity. And then it just projected onto other people with the slaves they brought, they stripped them of their identity, denied them of the, basic humanity and then the Chinese were also told oh hey you know with the whole thing that happened in the 1800s where they were massacred it was because they were too Chinese that's an oversimplification but yeah um, to the Japanese being told to do the same thing to the Mexicans it's like it's a constant 
repetition of stripping your identity. And as an African student, when you get here and you're having people bombard you with these ideas of, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's different. Oh, why are you doing that? Oh, why do you speak like that? It becomes damaging, especially if you're not well-versed with the idea of being a single entity in a foreign land. So I had to spend the, the first two, three years of my life in this country drilling into my mind that I do not have to conform. <laughs> I do not have to change myself, change my accent, change my identity, my way of dressing to please anybody. Because at the end of the day, I am African, I'm Kenyan, you know, and it's like, why, why do I have to lose myself to belong? And I've always told uh, everybody who I've met and even Africans who've Americanized, I've always told them, if it means me losing myself to become American, I by no means intend to be American. <laughs> I am very much so comfortable with who I am and the culture that I carry, which was passed down and... I already see my country experiencing a degradation in our culture because of the effects of colonization and globalization. So in a way, holding on to my identity in this country is a form of therapy. <laughs> it's therapeutic. It reminds me of who I am and who I intend to be. And as to do that as an African student with every other challenge is not easy. Really, it's not. It's like putting a target on your back. Everybody's like, look at her. She's different. <laughs> How dare she? <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, the part you brought up about assimilating and feeling forced to be a part of this American culture really mm -hmm. stood out to me because this quote-unquote American culture is white. So even as a black student, you won't be able to experience it, you know? Like, America, American is white, you know? It's bland. I like to think of it as bland. It's stripped of any sense of culture. It's America's culture is one of denial <laughs> and robbery and expansion. So even in that expansion still comes the idea of stripping people. You're expanding into people's territories, expanding your population, but still stripping them of their identity. It's like, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting to observe, honestly. American culture is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of your college experience, how has the experience of being an international student differed from mm -hmm. both Kansas and California? If there's one thing America guarantees is that as an international student, you will face the same things everywhere. <laughs> um, if I was, let's say, quote unquote, an illegal immigrant, um, California would be a place for me to come. But as an international student, I find the, the three states I've existed in to be the same in the way they treat me as an international student. Um you're guaranteed if something happens to your country, your economy, or your guardians who provide financial assistance, you are doomed. Um, you're just guaranteed that if you're not wealthy 
And if your, your financial status is not stable, prepare to struggle. And no one's going to lend you a helping hand because there's policies in place that make sure that doesn't happen. The government will offer funds to assist students and then the clothes will be like, not for international students. And it's like, okay, I pay school fees. When I work in school, you garnish taxes from me. What the heck? <laughs> you know, so there's a consistency the way America treats its international students. And it's very... I don't know if saying unfair would be the right word. It's very cold, very cold in the way we are treated. It's, it's frankly amazing that there's international students who stick through it and, and, you know, spend their almost their whole lives here. You know, it's, yeah. And if you get sick or end up having a mental situation that cr- crippled you, Again, there you go, the struggles on top of that. So I had that happen. Like I had that fully presented to me in 2020 when my country right now is not doing too good. (laughs) Our economy is just in disarray. Um, The political class are just holding everything to themselves, robbing the country of its resources and finances. And the people who are left to suffer, the common monanchi, which is a common citizen. And when my mother ended up getting critically ill, um, I no longer had money coming in. And the country had shut down because it depends, and since it depends on tourism and agriculture, uh, my mother's business was mostly dealing with tourism. She deals with art. So she couldn't go to work. The country itself was closed. Even if she went, there would be no customers. Uh, You can imagine how I had to deal with that, how I had to push through with that. And somehow I got sick too in 2020. (laughs) So I managed to finish the year with, with A's, but if you ask me how I got to the end, I have no idea. All I know is I reached out to get assistance. And again, the idea of policies was put in front of me. And the only reason I I was able to get housing, because I was homeless, was because a program in school that's funded um, externally stepped in and assisted the whole program. So I, I can't help but worry about other international students who might have been facing a similar situation as I was or worse. Like what happened to them? You know, I, and I remember in, you know, one time I, I met this man at a parking lot. I was driving in, he was laying on the floor and I felt so bad for him. It was cold out. (laughs) So I had a jacket on um, and I had shoes on in the car. I wasn't, you know, I think I had spare shoes in the car, but I called him over, had him stand a bit. This was last year. I had him stand up like away from the window a bit. I asked him about his story and 
the moment he mentioned that he used to be an international student, I I just started crying <laughs> because he's, he looked like he had something going on with his skin. His feet had blisters on them. Um, he was definitely probably on something because he was um, quote-unquote tweaking a bit. Um, and he was frail. He looked very frail, probably less than 100 pounds for sure. Um, just thinking about it, just it's sad. Um, so I asked him if the school, cause he didn't tell me what school he was in. Cause I guess he feared I would call ICE or something. And that's another thing, you know, once you go out of status, you have to start running for your life because they will come and get you. <laughs> um, and this poor man, I gave him the jacket and the shoes and I asked him if, because he, he was laying on the floor, didn't even have a cardboard or anything. I asked him if he had a place to go that night. I was willing to pay for a motel for him to sleep in for the next maybe two, three days. Um, he said no. And he said he, I don't know, I, I think he said something on the tune of he has to keep moving or something. So I, I told him that he should at least let me look for a shelter for him. So I did look for one nearby and drove side by side with him <laughs> because I, it was COVID. I didn't want him getting in the car. And again, my safety, I'm a woman, you know, so I drove side by side with him to almost the road that led to the shelter. And then I waved at him and told him to come back the next day, but he didn't. So I'm assuming got lost again in the world, but that's probably one of thousands of other international students who maybe something happened to them while they were in this country and nobody ever reached out to help. Nobody bothered to look for him. I asked him if he had his papers so we could try and figure out a way for him to at least go back home to Fiji. Um, he didn't have anything on him. I asked him his name. He couldn't remember his name. So... It, it's just like he could have been having a mental issue, you know, and and that there's no policies in place to shelter us from a downfall is quite ridiculous. But then I have to stand back and realize that if America doesn't care about its citizens at times, you know, because there's homeless people who are American all over the place, then who am I to come into this country and demand that we be respected? But then I have to step back and realize I'm a human being and my humanity should be a concern no matter where I go. Everyone's humanity should be preserved. But to this day, I still think about this guy. And I pray that he he gets help more than I could offer, you know, offer. <laughs> um, but yeah, as an international student, you just, you have to, you're teetering on the precipice of lacking money could mean the end of you. Wow. Um, th yeah, thank you for sharing that. He was, from what I remember, actually, he was drinking rotten ice cream. So I did have a meal in my car and I offered it to him too. He was rotten ice cream. I even had him drop it on the floor right there. I was like, no, that's unacceptable. He probably rummaged through the bin of a supermarket or something and found that. And it was like mint chocolate ice cream flavor. I think it was Dreyer's. So it was rotten. You could see the mold on the side. 
and I'm sure if he went to a hospital, he wouldn't get help. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably get like kicked out. Yeah, or someone would have been called the police, or maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it really is. But yeah. Yeah, and that was that was during the pandemic, so everyone was going through their own economic hardships. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just it just shows how much of a big heart you have, you know. If I had a, a billion dollars, I feel like I would go broke trying to help people, because what does it benefit a man to have all the riches? This is from the Bible, right? To have all the riches and lose their soul. You know, I could use that money, travel the world, see the world, live my best life, but then I would not be at peace knowing that people sleep hungry, die on the streets without trying to, you know, the, the important thing is you try and help, you know? So even if I'm buying food and there's a, a poor person outside the restaurant, I try myself and help out because I'm always like, this could have been a student and, you know, this could have been me, <laughs> you know, this person was probably somebody's father or something happened. Like it goes beyond even being an international student. It's just that they, there needs to be more compassion in the world. And unless somebody's, you know, like somebody's threatening your safety, you, you know, try your best. So I don't have much, but if I stop by a traffic light and I see a homeless person, even if I have $5 on me, they're getting it. I'll try and be safe as much as possible because I've seen instances of some homeless people attacking those who try and help them because they're probably inebriated. But I try my best and help out. <laughs> but I digress again. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, could you tell me about your experience with the pandemic? Um, maybe what do you wish people had done to support you better? Mm-hmm. Another thing I do wish for was for the professors to be more enlightened and educated on international students, what it means to be an international student, our experiences, the struggles we go through. Because you go ahead and tell a professor, hey, I was sick, I couldn't be able to do my work, and um, I had to work and make money for this or whatever. And you're met with like this coldness of so. <laughs> And then, <laughs> rather than, it, I remember asking one professor who was being very cold. Um, I told her, for a minute, just step back and put yourself in my shoes. You're in a foreign country. Everything is going wrong back home. Your mother is about to die. <laughs> and, well, she didn't, thank God. And you're in this country struggling in every which way. And then put yourself in my shoes and have somebody tell you that what you're going through is nothing, that you should be able to get to whatever needs to be gotten to. And and she had to like rethink what she said to me um, because she was trying to make it into like a competition of pain, telling me about something that happened to her 10 years ago. And I had to like stop her and be like, are we measuring who's suffering the most? <laughs> or are you? am I asking you for just a little bit of compassion and room to wiggle here? 
um, she had to have uh, the her boss talk to her eventually because that's that was just ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's also having to interact with professors who have no idea what it means to be international, and unfortunately, they're mostly white professors who do this. So yeah, I just wish there was more push for them to understand what it means to be an international student. Most of them assume you're all rich, you know, like multi-millionaires or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel like overall your professors were pretty understanding? If I was to lump up Kansas plus here, mm, I'd say 50-50. So we not lose, you know, depends on who you're talking to. And again, how exposed they are to cultures beyond the American culture and to the policies of this country, because there's a lot of educated people who are not enlightened in this country, unfortunately. Yeah, so we've talked about the support that you've received. Could you tell me about the HOPE program and the resources or support that they offered you? Um, So the HOPE program is one that makes sure students have access to their basic needs and emergency assistance in terms of food, and sometimes housing. So I became homeless because I left an abusive house and I I got tired because it was becoming very detrimental to my mental health. So I just left, (laughs) started sleeping in my car. And it took me missing an exam because I was somewhere parked in in a park just you know, depressed as hell. And then I emailed my professor when I saw I'd missed that exam and was like, hey, um, so this is what's been happening. And she got me in contact with the whole program and they immediately jumped into action, got me a place to stay in the school dorms. So they pay for it through their own funds, separate from the school. Um, They got me food gave me a part-time job in school, and they've been taking care of me ever since. So this has been the trend with so many other students. They have pantries every almost every week and offer free food to the students and staff of the school. So the whole program is amazing, and I hope they get more funding and keep helping more students because Lord knows I would not have gotten help any other way for sure. school I emailed some people within the school to get assistance when I was just becoming homeless and I was met with you know just like oh I didn't really state that I was homeless but I stated that I was in urgent need of assistance and it was just meh you know just bland responses so it took me actually getting to the edge you know, my depression finally crippling me and me being homeless, sleeping in a car for them to actually step in. It took me almost falling into darkness for them to help me. That is just ridiculous. But (laughs) I had to take a step back and be like, don't I pay fees? Like, I need help right now. And it was kind of crazy to me because if Americans are struggling... In this quote-unquote first world country, 
how then is it expected that me coming from my developing country, I would be stable in such unforeseen circumstances? Like, I, I, I'm grateful for the whole program. I will continue to sing their praises, especially Miss Darius and Miss uh, Miss Alelta, who were in charge of getting me situated in all of this. So I pray for nothing but the best for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we touched on housing. Could you tell me about your experience finding and acquiring housing and how that's been for you? You have to have a credit score. Let's start there. <laughs> and there's no discussions of financial literacy with regards to the American economy when you're coming into this country. You have to figure that out yourself. So you're thrown into a foreign nation and you have to figure out how to survive financially. And even if I did find a house, the rent would be like a thousand plus per month. Add on to that 10,000 plus for school fees per semester. You know? And add on money for your your car insurance, your health insurance, all this stuff. So <laughs> I did find a place and they wanted to see my credit score. I I didn't have a good credit score because I had just started like a year ago, tried to create one. So I took like, you know, try to find a way to actually have a credit score. But then they gave me a low credit score rating, even though I made all my payments. Um, and I'm just thinking about it now. Um, when I when I contacted this person, I was like, hey, I'm looking for a house. Um, this is what I do. The moment I mentioned I was an international student, they were like, no. Because with international students, again, there's that like, no, assurity that I'll be there long term or that I'll be able to pay. Because apparently some you know, landlords know that we're not allowed to work outside school. Um, and then came the idea of how will I be able to pay for that housing in the first place? So, and I, I'm, I stay in the Bay Area, so everything is expensive here. So I just ended up deciding, you know what, I have a car, it's functioning, why not? <laughs> so, yeah, it was very depressing, to say the least, very depressing dehumanizing even but yeah yeah thank you for sharing that um what is something that you're proud of accomplishing while in college i have been able to be a student senator in shabo college and i was able to initiate a conversation around international students and finally a policy was put in place to make sure they get assistance when applying for OBT, CPT, or economic hardship, which allows them to work outside school. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that there are students who can join that school and not suffer as much as, you know, I had to struggle because the government expects you to pay almost $600 for them to authorize you to work. And it's not even guaranteed that you're going to get that authorization. So it's guesswork, which is very ridiculous. But it's just money, money, money anyway. So 
I'm proud that I was able to get that done and that, you know, it's just, I'm proud of it. <laughs> um, I'm also proud of the fact that even with everything, I'm still here, still having hope, still pushing for my goal. So I'm proud that I'm still holding on. And I'm also proud that despite all of that, my grades are still very good. Um, and I just intend to keep pushing. I'm just I'm just amazed by my, my zeal, honestly, by the idea that I'm still going. Like, yeah, it's amazing, proud of it. Yeah, that's amazing. Could you tell me about what you missed the most from back home? Something I missed from my country? Yeah. Definitely the food. My God. And you can try and make a meal in this country and it just tastes like there's something extra in there. Chemical-like. I don't know. <laughs> Even when you buy the organic stuff, it's like, mm, it still tastes off. <laughs> So I do miss the food immensely. I especially the street food. Um nothing matches to that, honestly. Yeah, food is a big thing. Could you tell me about what college or education in general means to you? Well, as an international student, it means everything. <laughs> it's an investment. I've put everything into it, so um Education means a better, less stressful future. Because if I do become a neurosurgeon, that means I'm financially set. And that means also I'll have the authority to do what I want to do in assisting people. So it's everything. I can't be a doctor by by apprenticeship, unfortunately. So I have to go through the education system, toil some more, and I hope to get there. So education is my everything right now. Yeah, thank you. What do you wish people knew about the international student experience here in the United States? Um, I would rather, I, I feel like people should probably come here for their masters as international students rather than their undergraduate and Canada is an option. <laughs> Honestly, America will drag you through the mud if you are not multi-millionaire and above. So I am shit. I'm just saying, Canada is an option. <laughs> and yeah. America has so many opportunities in terms of work, that's true. But as an international student, you're not guaranteed to get those. So just nobody should come here thinking it's going to be easy or that it will be smooth. It's not. It's a lot of pain and struggle and yeah. America will make you strong for sure. <laughs> Do you regret not going to Canada? I don't know, because I haven't been to Canada, so I wouldn't really know. You know, maybe maybe Canada is 
America Junior. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, I to regret something, you have to be in a situation away from that thing. So I'm still in this thing. Um, I wouldn't say I regret it, but I just wish things were better. Because I do see the beauty in America. I do see the 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 promise in America. But then I don't understand why it has to be so aggravating <laughs> to go through the system. So, So at this point in our conversation, Lillian and I actually experienced the beauty of podcasting online, which are technical difficulties. What ended up happening was that I called her and I recorded her while she was on speaker, which will soon explain the sudden shift in audio quality. This next clip is Lillian answering the question, what have you learned from your college experience so far? I have been able to grasp grasp the idea of discernment and patience and perseverance. So discernment in that human beings will always surprise you, whether negatively or positively. So you just have to be able to know which situations work or don't work or what the outcomes might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and patience because I've been tested time and time again but I still hold on with a lot of resilience and hope that I will become a neurosurgeon and I will go out and help people as I plan to. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing America really promises you is that when you come here as an international student, you're basically in a cage and America is kicking you down a, a hill and it stops once in a while to allow you to catch your breath, enjoy the view, <laughs> and then it proceeds to kick you until you get to the slope and you get to what you've been you know, trying to get to. It's like America drags you before it lets you enjoy the fruits of your labor. And it's not a guarantee that you'll get to the end of the slope. Mm-hmm. What America guarantees you, though, is struggle. <laughs> that <laughs> is a guarantee. So resilience is very much so needed for anyone who plans to come here as an international student because it's one portal after the other. I wanted to reserve these final moments to thank Lillian for this eye-opening conversation, for her willingness to share her story. It is truly an inspiring one, and I am so grateful to have had her on the podcast. And I hope you all learned as much from it as I did.